Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Uh, I have another two-parter coming up. Uh, Christian O'Connell is here. Uh, Christian, I think you are the best broadcaster in this country. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You're not my favourite. Richard Bacon's my favourite. Yep. Because he doesn't seem to have any idea about who he is. Yeah. Do you listen to it? I find him obsessive. Uh, Richard? Yeah. Richard is a talented broadcaster. He, I love listening to him, but he's no self, no self of himself. True. Like, yes, no, and I think Richard would, would agree with that, and do you know what? He'd be flattered by that. But when he was finishing, he was saying, look, it's, it's been great here on Five Live, but I'll be spending my time between LA and, <laughs> and London. <laughs> you're going, what? <laughs> I just thought, why are you telling people this? This is this is actually there's a microphone on you. You're not in the pub. Like, you'd never do something like that. No, would no, you? no, no, no. But Richard would because um, well, that's just Richard is a bit like that. Yeah, you know, some radio presenters uh, do fake humble. It's the same with some comics. Yeah, Richard will make a virtue of the fact he's not like his audience. I said once to Richard, you should do a feature called "I'm Not Like You." I have a nice car and a great house. You don't have any of these things. And Richard thought that was great. He'd love yeah. to do that. So yeah, Richard doesn't have that. But I, but I do. I, I love li- listening to Richard. And I think um, uh, his show was it, there were some great moments on it as well. But you've always, have you always done breakfast? Yes, almost seventeen years. So like. What time do you get up in the morning? 12 minutes past four. It really is 12 minutes past four because the taxi comes at half four and I've worked at any extra minute I could be in bed, I would be in bed. But surely your body clock is just up at that time now. Up? Who up. is up at 12 minutes past four unless you're on drugs? you've been doing 17 years. No, you never ever get used to it. It's, no. No, you don't ever get used to it. It always feels like someone's just thrown me out of the bed in the middle of the night. And so you kind of, did you have a little nap in the cab as well then? No, because then you've got to wake up twice. No, I'm on my iPad reading through news stories and stuff like that, thinking about the show. The shape of it, the feel of it. What's it going to be today? I don't know. Well, no, because you are, like, you're what I'd call a natural broadcaster. Uh, you don't have a, have a lot of skills to be able to talk and do no, a breakfast show. See, no, that, you don't. You, you're doing that false. No, no, that isn't. I generally don't. Most people do it. it. What they find hard is someone kicking out the bed in the middle of the night going, go on, do it now. That but, bit they'd struggle with. I can do that bit. But you don't do that false kind of uh, jolliness either. You are just yourself. Yeah, sometimes I'm in a good mood or something's pleased me or stuff like that, like a king. I'm like a tyrant. If I'm in a good mood, I'll do a good show. So really, if not, I'll be quiet and moody. If you're in a bad mood, does it affect the show, then? No, not at all, because I'm still there to try and entertain people. It's the same with being a stand-up. You know, well, you know we'll going on stage, I've just had a really bad... I've just had some really bad news. Uh, but I'll try and, you know, get through the gig tonight. Thanks for coming anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, the kind of thing I would say. Yeah, yeah but you can get away with it. But it's um, but so so tell us how it all started then. Because did you like initially you started off being a stand-up? Yeah? Well, I say being a stand-up. I did my first stand-up gig like an open mic spot when I was eighteen. So that would have been about nineteen ninety, and there were no comedy clubs outside of London. There weren't even full-time and comedy you were in clubs. Southampton, were you? Uh, Winchester near Southampton, and uh, so my dad had to drive me out to Salisbury, which is like an hour from where we lived, where this pub had a back room and it had one of those entertainment nights spell n-i-t-e i was on after a uh, magician 
and I did like five minutes. And it was, I think, maybe this happened to you where the first time I did stand-up, so I was like 18. So even just being in a pub was a real kind mm. of air of excitement to me. So then doing a, a, making adults laugh. There were, no, there were no people my age there. There was no one under the age of 30 when I look back now. But it went well. And the next couple of kids Do you remember didn't. what kind of stuff you were d- talking about? It was, um, I'll tell you what it was. It, it wasn't very good. But what I was good with was um, someone didn't heckle but said something. And then I sort of fed off. I think it was that, actually. Now now about it was get off, yeah. Um, And so I sort of responded to that, and that got the biggest laugh, was the kind of spontaneity. And then... Um, I struggled with the remain the ne- next bunch of gigs I did. I-, I really tried to pitch jokes at them, and it just didn't work. I didn't really have an act. I then went away to uni, um, still kept doing stand-up then up at Nottingham. So what, d- what did you study in Nottingham? Communication studies, some pointless degree. So, yeah, was that, like... Saying hello to people every day? <laughs> no, it's um, it's one of those waste-of-time media degrees. Yeah. My dissertation was on the movie Alien. A dissertation. Mm-hmm. 20,000 words, Sean. <laughs> That's like ten times longer than the script. No, because actually what I looked at is quite a sort of groundbreaking movie in that there was a very uh, masculine, feminine hero right. in Sigourney Weaver. It was kind of mole-breaking that a lead could be a woman sure, in yeah. an action movie. But it's still not 20,000 words. No, I don't know. You just said it all in I've just done it now. I mean, I was struggling with it. What else did I say? <laughs> and then John Hurt was thinking about his stomach. <laughs> Let me analyse this. But so, God, so... Um, so I kept doing stand-up, bits and bobs, and then when I moved down to London, when I graduated, um, sorry, my last year at uni, someone saw me do a gig and said, come up to Edinburgh and do Say Think You're Funny. So I got through to, like, the yeah, semi-finals. Which is a competition for new acts. Yeah, and it's, it's huge. Yeah. And so I went up to Edinburgh, um, thought I'd win it, and I didn't have an act at all. I just had a collection of just random uh, rubbish. And um, the guy on before me in my heat was Julian Barrett. And he went on and he was a fully formed, original, charming comic voice. Mm-hmm. He's now, you know, went on to become the Mighty Bush. I wasn't any of those things. It was just humiliating. I died. I remember sleeping in a shop uh, doorway down by Waverley Station, crying, vowing never to go back to that cruel city and never do stand-up again. And then it kind of petered out over the next sort of year and a half. I moved down to London did open mic spots wherever I could, but I just didn't have an act. So, so you I still wanted see. to do it then? Yeah, massively, but I just couldn't see how I could make the leap from... I, I, I really wanted to be as naturally funny and conversationally funny as I, I knew I could be with my friends. I was struggling to transition that to being an on-stage comic. Yeah. Well, six years. Yeah, I didn't realise that. I, I, I gave up. Uh, I, I just gave up, really. It sort of out. And then I met my wife, and she said, look, why don't you... I had this awful sales job I just hated doing, but because I could talk to people, bizarrely, it was going well, even though I hated it and didn't what want it to selling? go well. I was selling... Um, I've sold everything. I was selling uh, advertising space in a food magazine. Uh, and then I got a job. My wife said, why don't you get a sales job working for a radio station? Because I also, also back in my mind, thought, well, maybe I'll, I've always wanted to do a, uh, be a radio DJ and be a radio presenter. But had you thought about that before, though? Oh, uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I was that sad kid that recorded the top 40. I mean, I know a lot of people and did that. Fondle women's breasts. I never did that bit. No, um, in my mind there was fondling, but never in reality. Okay, I drew the line there. Sure. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. That's entrapment. What you tried to get me to admit then as well. No, I'm just. You're like Paxman on this. I get it now. I am. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's oh. tough. It's a bear pit. This is. But it's weird what you were talking about because um, that never goes away. Where you know when you were saying you, you when someone said something to you on stage and you were able to naturally kind of reply. Yes. I did a show. My I did a show in Liverpool last week, and my brother came along. And this is a proper two-hour show where it's got a theme and it's, yeah. I've worked on it a lot. And uh, obviously, during the show, 
I had banter with the audience in a scout accent. And the only thing he said to me was, when you're just so quick with the audience, you're just brilliant. I love it. that's my favourite bit, your banter. Yeah, see, I get I because I, I, I'm still new, very new to stand up now since I've gone back to it like three years ago. I get I, I get still get really upset when people say that because I think, well, about like, prepared material, I know. I sort of sweat like a year on some of that shit. What do you mean you you? Because yeah. I just think, well, I can do that Mickey Mouse stuff on the radio exactly, all day long. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think there's any art to that. Well, well there is, are, there is, but you, I, I yeah, I guess agree. so. You're kind of going. So that and a lot of the show was about my brother as well. Yeah, didn't say whatever they go. Oh, the way you so quick. So but I, quick. I tell you what it is, Sean. It's like when I see comics do that, and when I've seen you do it, and that you know what it is. It's like a magician. You know they've got their tricks that they've been working on. But when you see them do that, it's like they've made a brand new one in front of your, front of your eyes that will only work that night. Yeah. And like, oh wow, did you see what you just did? That one worked to, tomorrow night in Runcorn or Maidstone. And that's when you realise, oh my, wow, he did. He made a brand new trick up. Which I do actually. I don't have any uh, <clears throat> things in the back of my mind. I've got one that I use just because it's quite hurtful to the person. And it's when I ask them if they've got kids, and if there's a big age gap between the kids who go, were you in prison for a bit? <laughs> See, that's not a good <laughs> joke. It's cruel, but really funny. But yeah. <laughs> Does that ever not work? Um, well, the person you send it to hates you. But, yeah, but uh, the rest of them. Yeah, the rest of themselves. Sometimes people have to be sacrificed for a good gig. <laughs> well, yeah, I try not to be cruel, but yeah. there's, a, there's a balance there. yeah. Like and it was weird. Like you know, obviously being Liverpool, they they thought they were quite funny. They they all think they're very funny. I did a radio show for a year, a breakfast show in Liverpool. Um, wow! And it was quite an experience. I, I tell you what, though, because they they like to talk. It was the easiest radio show I've ever done in my life. You just had to put them on air. You can go for an hour and then just get into news and get into the ads. I didn't have to do hardly any work. But you lived so. So tell us about your radio career. How did that start then? Um, uh, well, like I said, my wife said, "Why don't you take a sales job with like a radio station and trying to get into radio that way?" And I said, "Well, that's that's not how people do it." It is though. It's like like internships were all sorts of things. Yeah, but not from the sales. There's like two yeah. two very different uh, factions in any radio station. There's the salespeople who are called sales weasels, and then there's the presenters. And they, they, there's tension between them. You don't cross from one side to the other. In fact, I think tension. I want to... Oh yeah, huge. <laughs> the polarity. Have you found that since you went over the other side that you actually? No, because I know I've come sales. from the other side. Yeah. I'm with them. I understand yeah. what they're. I'm poacher turned gamekeeper. So you come in high five in the sales team yeah. all the time. Yeah, part of me would always be a sales weasel. So, so you were you. So you went to a radio station to sell. sell I yeah, my job was to sell sponsorship and promotion. So that means coming up with um, like if Hellman's mayonnaise wanted to do a um, weekend promotion on a load of radio stations, I would come up with an idea. One of my big campaigns um, was uh, for Nestle I can feel ice the cream. Pride in your voice. You like this one, right? It was for Nestle ice cream, and um, it was ice cream for ice cream. So the DJ would call you up, and if you screamed, you got a year's supply of Nestle ice cream. That was my job. Was this on Magic? No, it was on uh, Trent FM in Nottingham. Right. Yeah. So, so you had to move up there, obviously. No, uh, this job was working in London, and then after about six months, I got drunk one night and said to the guy that was in charge of uh, about 12 radio stations, all the breakfast shows, sure. I said, oh, you know, I'm funnier than any of those people. And he said, well, look, someone's just quit down in Bournemouth. Why don't you go and... Audition, and I never actually done a radio show before, and so I sober up next day. You know those things. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I thought, well, what have I got to lose? So I went down to this audition, and I loved it. And I got offered the job. I had to take like a sixty percent pay cut. I'd just been married like six months. So well, you got married very young then, did you? I was um, ten. 
That's, uh, but when you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> the one comes along. You know. <laughs> exactly not, you know. We will not have sex for six years, but you are the one. <laughs> I'll wait it out. <laughs> no, what was it? I was twenty-five when I got married. And what age were you when you married? I was twenty-three. So you were very lucky like that. I was extremely lucky, and I've been married almost seventeen years. So yeah, very very lucky. And my wife was a lawyer, hated it. It was making her sick. So she thought, well, let's move down to Bournemouth. This is where the breakfast show was. Leave London and give it two years. And let's see if you can be well, you any good. you want a two-year contract? Yeah, I, I just I saw it as an apprenticeship, to be honest. I was, I was terrible for about the first year. I mean, really bad. Um, just couldn't work out, what, what, what did you do here? I was hired as the sidekick, funny, wacky guy. Oh, you weren't the main presenter then? No, I was like a funny co-presenter. And I couldn't handle that because I wasn't in control. And what was the other person like? Hated me. Absolutely hated me. Sometimes mm. I would do like a punchline and then look at him to play the song and he would just go, oh, was that, was that it? This is live on air. Right. It was just horrendous. God, that sounds terrible. It was a real baptism by fire, yeah. And also, so, because like, that's that thing of just going, we're going to move to Bournemouth for a couple of years as well. <laughs> yeah, but young pretty. enough then, at 25, you, you know, I, I thought, well, if it goes really badly, I'll have, I'll have, I'll have tried to do something I wanted to do and, if, uh, and I can pick up a sales job anywhere. And then, but after a year... Uh, and I really just took my ego aside and thought, well, this is kind of a been paid for apprenticeship, really. I start to get better. And to be honest, it's breakfast radio. Um, the bar is quite low. There's some very, very good people that do breakfast radio, and then there's some terrible people who are stealing a living. And so you don't have to be that funny to be considered really funny at breakfast show. Yeah. If you're slightly amusing, yeah, exactly. at that time, people are like, how did he do that? How can he be funny at ten past seven? You've just got to be yeah, people slightly just be witty. Amused yeah, they do. It's not like a comedy club. Going, yeah. So when I went back to stand-up three years ago and had all this material that I'd so sort of... You quit stand-up at that point then? Yeah, I didn't do it, but barely a week went by when I wouldn't think about what if, and that was like that for 17 years. So Whenever I interviewed stand-ups, constantly just, just thought, I can't, it's just something which eluded me, and that's fine, I've found success in this area. You know, it's arrogant to think I could then go now and do stand-up. You know, you can't do everything. So then after two years of Bournemouth, your contract was up? Uh, no, uh, they wanted me to stay... Um, As a sidekick? No, I, I, by now I'm starting to do the show, Um but I realised I can't... Did you kill the other guy? No, no, he'd, he'd, had, a, he'd had a tough time and left. He had an accident, didn't he? <laughs> no, he didn't have an accident. Christian, um, come on! This podcast <laughs> is all about the truth. What did you do to him? <laughs> Nothing. He, he, he kind of left the show, and uh, but I realised I couldn't carry on doing that kind of radio. It was very, um, it was very uh, safe and old-fashioned commercial radio. And so I got offered a job in Liverpool... And the guy said, look, I could help build a show around you. And he's quite a kind of out there. But like you just say that. So did you apply for this job in Liverpool or did he poach you? Uh, he poached me. I had like a couple of different radio stations that wanted to hire me. Um, but my big goal was to get to XFM. That was it. I thought, right. if I get to London and do a breakfast show, then I'll have made it. In but also life. before you're 30, because XFM is for young people. Music's for everybody, Sean. But yeah, I know what you mean. No, but, you know, it is. I, I think th we have to... No, I think you could on. still be in your mid-30s on XFM. It's that... an indie station. People are like, I still like indie music, so do you. I know, yeah, but I'm saying but the presenters yeah, tend music to be young. Snob. What do you want, some sort of no, age snobbery. fascist? I'm just saying that XFM has got a young demographic. No, it's people our age. You'd be very surprised. It's not like young'uns. Well, what do the young'uns listen to, then? I've got no idea. I play Nickelback, so I don't know. That's terrible. <laughs> and so it's that thing of... Um, 
Like, when you say you wanted to go to London, surely you wanted Radio 1, though? No, not at all. No, I didn't want it at all. I wanted to be... Uh, XFM had more of an edge to me. I was into indie music. I'd grown up listening to it. I thought that would be amazing to do uh, a breakfast show in London on XFM. So he said... Uh, this guy said, look, come to Liverpool. I'll help you get to XFM. And then after about nine months in Liverpool, I got offered the breakfast show on XFM, and so... And how was your wife about moving... Were you married at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought a place yeah. in Liverpool. And how was she about moving to Liverpool? Did it the hardest... Uh, she was excited. We both really? were. We didn't have kids then. It was kind of like, well, it's a bit of a journey. Let's see what happens. And um, But then the hard thing was moving down from Liverpool to XFM. I had to take a, a massive pay cut. XFM had... They said you can have the show. You, you said this about you. every job so I know, far. I know. I need to make a career in losing money. XFM had... They said you can do the show. We just won't hardly pay you anything. Um, and so I took it because I thought, do you know what? I reckon I could get really good at this and and... The best thing that happened to me in my career is Chris Evans left Virgin Radio. And within six months, seven months of being on XFM, Virgin Radio offered me to come and do a show there. Not to take over from Chris, but to come and do a show there. And XFM wanted to keep me, and Chris getting fired, I suddenly got offered, I, they, oh, uh, for, I think it was like three times. Or so you were brilliant on XFM. It was a really exciting time in, in, in radio, and that station, it was like, the five years I was there, you know, Ricky met Carl. Carl Pickleton used to be yeah. my, uh, used to make the jingles for the breakfast show. For five years I worked there. And, you know, um, there were so many. Adam and Joe was there, Lauren. Um, you know, Sean Keaveney used to do the show before me. He used to do early breakfast. It was a really exciting time. And the overnight show. Yeah. And Zane Lowe was on in the evenings. It was, a, it was an amazing lineup. You know, it's very exciting to be around. The freedom we had during that period, that's sort of about five years. Uh, XFM doesn't have that now. I don't think any commercial radio well, no, station has. Like, it's I, a I real love, shame. Because I, uh, I did my time on... Uh, BBC London, which used to be yeah, called speak, yeah, Radio. yeah, yeah. As a kid, I used to listen to it. It's brilliant. There but was nothing were, like it. Yeah, they were just absolute freedom, which you'll mm. never get ever again. Well, yeah, on that station, Chris Evans did his first ever radio shows mm. in London. There, Danny Baker, Chris Morris. There was an amazing lineup of um, these real sort of freewheeling presenters. I remember one Sunday, like I said, the Saturday Saturday show was proper, like have a band in, but Sunday was just for people who were hungover. And, uh, like, you'd, you'd plan, it was a three-hour show, and you'd plan to play about ten records, but you'd end up playing about four. Yeah, isn't that incredible, yeah? yeah. And there's no adverts, so... And one one Sunday, I played the same song four times in the whole show. Which was the song? Here Comes the Summer, because it's only, undertones, but it was only a minute and fifty. <laughs> but people were ringing up after the second time, going, he does know he's played that before. <laughs> we just go, yes, we know. But I think then when it comes on the third time, they're, then they're pissing themselves, going, all right, we're having a laugh, <laughs> rather than a really bad mistake. Did you enjoy radio? So you're I a natural conversationist, so you'd, be, you'd excel at it. It's, I love radio, and that's yeah. why. But it's that weird thing of, like, I kind of, uh, I listen to Five Live, and I don't know why, I don't even like it, but it's, uh, like, Nicky Campbell in the morning, that's the time I get up, yep. so. But every uh, show is the exact same. It's, they bring up an issue, then there's some people agreeing with it, and some people disagreeing with it. And that's pretty much every one of their shows. Yeah, I mean, they've got 24 hours of rolling news, and there's not enough rolling news to fill it, so yeah. they have to have it, topics about issues and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I look at the issue, and if I'm going, I've no interest whatsoever in that, then I... Just... But most of us do that, oh, I don't really care. So so, what, what else is around? But do you actually listen to radio yourself? Uh, not much, no. I listen to podcasts because I love... Like what we're doing now, I find that podcasts are long-form, more immersive conversations and interviews, and I, I love that, that's what I want. The last thing I want to do is listen to music, radio, or anything like that. I hear for four hours a day in my headphones. I, 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 I want my fix to be something different. 
But you like uh, like I, w- I want to go over your career anyway. So let's stick with that for now. So XFM, you get that. So no, you didn't really. So Liverpool was a good experience. It's a great experience. I really liked it. Uh, it was great fun up there. It's a great city. Um, they were up for. Uh, it is. I had a great time up there. I really liked it. That's I did. A, that's all you got to say. No, I did. I had a great, we brought a house up there. I was. Um, I, I thought I'd be up there a couple of years. I, I really enjoyed it there. So what? Then very quickly XFM came for you. Uh, no, I was sending them a demo tape, probably fortnightly. Of your show, just yes. a live show? Yes, constantly be- uh, demanding the breakfast show, begging for the breakfast and did show. did you have an agent at that point? Uh, yeah, but I was just doing it myself. Right. Yeah. And so eventually... They, uh, they offered me the breakfast show, uh, at next... On your own? Uh, no, just to join, there was another guy there, a news really called Chris Smith, it's a really funny bloke, and, uh, often with radio, breakfast shows, commercial radio... You're just thrown together. It's like an arranged marriage. They kind of hope it works. With uh, me and Chris Smith, uh, it didn't. He was an instrumental part of that show's success. He now does news, and he's uh, Greg James, a sort of co-presenter on Radio 1. Um, and uh, we were there for five years. You know, we, we, uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was brilliant. I loved it, though. It was great fun. But it was time to leave. I, I, I'd done five years, and I'd thought, I'd, um, I've taken this show as far as it can. Now there's nothing else I can do here. I, I need to do something different that would challenge me. But so, like, you've always had the same kind of uh, living pattern then of just getting up really early in the mornings. Yeah. And what time do you go to bed at then? It's uh, a lot later now because I've got kids. By the time we put them to bed, it's like nine o'clock in the evening and I want to have a glass of wine and chat to my wife and maybe watch a bit of TV. So I don't go to bed till half ten, eleven. So you've been living on, like, five, six yeah. hours sleep? Yeah, it's, yeah. You are Margaret Thatcher, aren't you? Well... Are you running for uh, your local area? I am area? running for office, yeah. <laughs> you get... <laughs> so, yeah, five years, and so you, you actually really thought, you just went, no, I've, I've taken it as far as I could go. Yeah, I had. I just instinctively knew that there was no new challenge for that. And if once you get in a comfort zone, whatever you're doing, there's no growth there. There's no, you know, to get up at that time in the morning, you've really got to want to really connect with people and think you've got something to say and I really felt like if I carry on here I'm just going to be repeat myself a bit and, I, and actually generally I, like you said actually I think you were joking but I thought there should be someone younger than me now doing this I just become a dad yeah. I thought they, you know, there should be some young guy like I was a couple of years ago you know uh, trying to have a go of it and do something different uh, it, well it was quite interesting right Carl Pilkerton wanted Russell Brand did a demo with Russell Brand they didn't want Russell Brand you love this this was quite a few years ago now they didn't think he was a big enough name um, and they went with Lauren Laverne, and they wanted to, then they thought, let's do something completely different. And so they gave Lauren the gig. He did a great show, and she left after about a year. Because the hours are not very bad. There are lots of very good presenters who just can't handle the change in your living circumstances doing a breakfast Yeah, I remember show. doing a, uh, an interview with them. I think it was Danny Wallace was doing it. Yeah, Danny did it a couple of years ago, yeah. He just seemed very bored by the whole thing. Uh, I, I don't know. But, it is, but how long was the shows in the morning, then? Uh, the shows I've always done are like 6 to 10. That's a long old show. Yeah, it, it is. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Who can be funny? Uh, but then I have ads and play songs, so... And did you get any choice in the music you played? Whereabouts? In XFM. No. See, that, see, this is the only thing that really annoys me about radio is... Uh, yeah. Because, like, like, I was... When I was doing uh, BBC London... Yeah. Radio 2 offered me a job... Yeah. Uh, ...on a Saturday afternoon... And I said, I don't want to do it unless I get some choice of uh, music. And he said, uh, that's not really the way it works. And Billy Bragg had just been doing it. Yeah. And he left because he said he was sick of playing the Mavericks. And uh, 
I said, they said, oh, please. What's wrong on. with twisting the night away? I know, but, you know, but it's just that thing of, like, it's very hard, as you, like, you must pretend you like every song that comes on. Well, I don't like, I love all the songs, but I don't need to sit there slagging them all off. I, I yeah. can't stand musical snobbery, so, you know. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you, but. And do you know what? Of... I bet, Sean, if I listened to a show where you played all your own music, half of it I wouldn't like. I know. You know, and I know that if I played all the songs I liked, my audience figures would be half, because people don't, I don't, I don't like that. My job in the morning is to entertain as many people as possible without, you know, loosening down what I do. There has to be some kind but of... But I don't know if people understand the, the stringency of the whole radio setup where, like, you know, there's the A-list, so you'd be listening to the same songs and playing them constantly. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably 80% of my playlist is the same every day, Monday to Friday. Wow. It'd be just in a different, jumbled up a bit differently, yeah. But then people listening on average 15, 20 minutes a show, they're not listening for four hours. There's something wrong with them. That's me. Oh. No, because, like, as a stand-up, I've got nothing else to do, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, my, my favourite joke that I do on stage at the moment is, like, I can't stand those people who say there's not enough hours in the day, I always say, have two of mine. Because <laughs> they're too long, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but, but see, that's it. we'll get on to that in, in the second half. But, um, but, so, but so you didn't mind it, because I left Six Music for that very reason. They said to me, would you play... I was only doing a Sunday morning show, and, uh, and it was to break through new bands. It depends, yeah, it depends what you're there to do, right? My thing about getting into Breakfast Radio was always about wanting to try and be funny and entertain people on the radio. It was never to break new music. If I wanted to break new music, I would have gone down a different route and but I'd but be doing no an way. evening show. Well, I could have done, you know, like Zane Lowe. You know, um, it's, it's it, you know, you need, on a, on a good radio station, you need both. You want people there who are going to break new bands and play new songs. You want someone who's going to, you know, try and make you laugh and, and, and set something up in the morning. And so, because um, you, but do you tend to a lot of your guests were on the I've phone? I've cut back massively on guests, massively. Now because, you have, yeah. In the last sort of year, because I suddenly realised not all of them um, are work uh, in the morning. We just got more negative feedback about a lot of guests. They'd be too uh, downbeat. Well, bring their up energy. I didn't like. Oh, the text is. I'm, I'm sat in front of a giant focus group. Anyone right. can text now, so they, they let me know very quickly what they like and don't like. Like, because um, I'll, I'll tell you mine as well, but who was your worst guest where you just went, oh, my God, I can't wait for this to finish? Um, Steven Seagal. But it was so bad, I was... It was like, oh, this is brilliant. I'd rather do an interview which is aggressively bad rather one which is just a bit kind of, yeah. Yeah. And this was so bad. Awful. He did not want to be interviewed. He was really aggressive. Hated all the questions, was sneering at me, and I was so and this excited. this live? No, it was pre-recorded. I couldn't oh. wait. Couldn't wait to play it the next day. I literally began the show and went, I've just done the worst interview ever. I cannot wait to play it. And there were more people excited about that than if I went, I've done a pretty good yeah. interview with Steve Zagal. But, but live-wise, who was the worst? Uh, the worst one was, um, I'm a massive fan of the movie Back to the Future. Yeah. You know the actor Christopher Lloyd, Dr. Emmett Brown? Yeah, yeah. He came in and... He was in Taxi as well, wasn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. And he came in and um, he's promoting this movie and the movie company said, you can't interview him unless you go to see the movie. So I said to my producer, you go, sign in as me. Right, they're not going to be there. So I said to my producer, he goes, Christopher Lloyd's here, he's in reception. I went, oh, by the way, what's the movie like? Well, I just went, oh, I didn't go and see it in the end. I went, what, what is he in it? And he goes, I think he's the voice of a talking raccoon. So anyway, he comes in live, and I go, I really like the movie. I love, you know, your character, the raccoon. He goes live on air. Well, you've obviously not seen it. I'm in it. Why would I be a talking raccoon? <laughs> and it went downhill from there. Oh, 
it was awful. And then my boss texted me during the interview going, he sounds like he's had a stroke. Your producer should have checked. It's going to be going any worse. It's awful. And I had his question about Back to the Future, and he went, I don't really remember it. It was a long time ago. You know more than me. So I think, I don't really have anything else. I don't know anything about the movie. Sorry. You it don't is, want to talk about Back to the Nickelback. Future. It's Nickelback. It's <laughs> Nickelback. But it is that weird thing of like... Uh, Who's yours? Well, it was... Um, the singer from Talk Talk, Mark Hollis. Oh, wow. A Great band. Fan. Yeah. So I pretty much so excited to see yeah. him. And uh, I think he just intimidated because he knew I was a comic, so he thought I was going to take the piss out of him. Yeah, so he was overly guarded. Yeah. So, and I, my first question was, talk, but, talk Talk are one of the best bands ever. It's weird how they were kind of pushing you towards trying to be like Duran Duran, but you pulled back and brought out these beautiful spiritual records. And uh, asked the, like a question that lasted about six minutes, and he just went, no. <laughs> that's something you do I yeah, find that, that funny yeah, probably, that is but, exactly the thing you do you but, make your mirror image yeah, and I, I was kind of stuck you're like two that. magnets that propelled each other but I, I was waiting for the you know I had no time to think of another question no, I'd have been heartbroken yeah. but, um, but it's, we'll finish on this one but um, it's just that when researchers can they can really well like, I don't have any up. researchers around it's no, but, a tiny team but as you say with your producer telling you that bad information well you it's a talking recruit yeah because I got that uh, just I did a, a programme on BT Sport recently just oh, yeah. a panel show yeah and uh, the producers rang me up and said who's the other guest and he goes uh, Emil Heskey and I said oh, what's he up to now and he went oh he's retired so uh, and I meet him in the uh, green room and go hi Emil are you enjoying your retirement what are you talking about I'm looking for a club now you hate me. And he, yeah, he would have thought you were just trying to be a wise-ass yeah. comic. I was just going, yeah, you old geezer. It's very hard, you know, not to... And you, you overcompensate with people like that. You just go, you know, people give you a hard time, but your record for England... It's awful, but, but, but you can't rebottle that no. crap storm you've already created. That's on you, and they hate you. The worst thing I ever did on the radio was, and that's why, and I'm sure you're the same, I won't have authors on because I want to read the book. I think it's pointless having an author on if you haven't read the book. But at breakfast time, who wants to hear me talk to an author about their novel? N- no one. I know, but just just as a general thing. So I'm, I'm sure you get this as well, where just, like, as I said, we do the Sunday show, and all of a sudden, Saturday, through my post, they just go, change your guests, this author's coming in. I'm going, no, don't do that. But this guy who I was interviewing... He was a real ass. Who was it? I forget, but like, right. but I, I did a this, serious author. Well, I don't know really because I didn't read the book. But do you know, was, you read um, the dust jacket. I would have just read yeah, that. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. yeah, that's enough. But this is this is a terrible thing I did, and this is typical of me, and why I probably didn't want me on the radio is uh, luckily he was an ass, and the book was about uh, mirroring his own life, where a guy who goes out with a much younger girl, and he says, "I've dedicated the book to her," and I says, "I didn't get that far." That's awful. I know. I felt really bad, but I couldn't resist it. It's that slightly autistic part of me that just says, say it, say it. Surely you've done something like that. I know you're... No. You're very... I said some terrible things already, especially on XFM, but to, to say that in front of somebody... Yeah, but I, I kind of judged his character first. But <laughs> You'd assist yeah. him in a couple of minutes. You're absolutely right. And thought, right. I'm going to annihilate you. Yeah, I'm not, Thanks I'm, for coming in. I hate you. You're I'm an not, idiot. I'm not being boastful. I'm saying it was a horrible thing to it's do. It's awful. But have you not ever done anything like that? Oh, of course I've done... Te- yeah, but you, you misjudge moments, yeah. And you walk away, you know, literally thinking, that's awful. What kind of person am I? Yeah, it's when you're panicky or desperate and think, oh, I need to get a joke here. And you say yeah. something and you realise, that's just really mean. I mean, really mean. It's awful. Well, let's finish on that. Thank you very much, Christian. We will uh, be back uh, with uh, part two. We're under the radar. Lovely stuff. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.